Pray with me. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On our very first Thanksgiving that we had at our current home, it was about eight years ago, Jonah, our son, wasn't even born yet. So it was my husband Josh and Lottie and I and my parents were over for the holiday. And we had spent the entire day preparing a Thanksgiving feast. We had been working in the kitchen. We were telling stories to each other. We were listening to music. And it had already been a glorious day. And then we gathered around the table. And I remember saying, okay, we're going to go around the table and everyone is going to say what they're thankful for before we start eating. And Lottie says, me first. So she gets down out of her chair and she starts walking around the table and telling us all these beautiful things that she's grateful for. And the grown-ups around the table were looking at her What is she doing? And then I realized I had said, we are going to walk around the table and say what we're grateful for. And she listened. And she started a tradition because every grown-up after her got up from their seat and walked around the table and said what we were thankful for, because why wouldn't we after seeing something so beautiful and so pure and so sweet? And we still do it. Just this past week, a part of our dining room table broke. And it's, it's interesting how nostalgic you get when something breaks, and it had me thinking about all that this dining room table has seen. It's why I started thinking about that story of Lottie and Thanksgiving and her walking around the table. But most of what happens at our table is mundane. It's just a humble meal with our family sitting around talking about the highs and lows of our day, and that mundane is priceless. But that table has also seen family dinners, with my parents and grandparents and nieces and nephews and now my great-nephew sitting at that table. That table has had dear friends who are chosen family sitting around it and enjoying a meal together. It has had brand new friends invited in that we're hoping to build relationships with. That table has seen conversations where we cried. It has seen birthday celebrations and great joy A dining room table, of course, holds food and plates, but it holds so much story and significance and symbolism. It's interesting how just one word, one idea, brings with it, conjures up a whole world of meaning and feeling. It always has. And our authors, our various authors in the Bible, they knew this. And so the idea of a meal or a table shows up quite often in our Bible. Now, a lot of the stories are literal meals that are very significant. They are stories like a boy's lunch 
a few fish and pieces of bread, not at an actual rectangle table, but perhaps a picnic cloth, who knows? But this simple meal is transformed for thousands into a miracle for both the mind and the body. A simple meal is offered by Abram and Sarai to travelers as a gesture of hospitality, and it becomes an encounter with angels. Jesus gathered with his disciples the day before he died to enjoy a Passover meal, and what was supposed to be a simple observance of their faith becomes anything but simple and lives on today. And in another meal after his resurrection, Jesus gathers for dinner with two travelers that he'd been walking with on the way to Emmaus, and they did not even know they were walking with Jesus until he breaks bread at their table and enjoys a meal with them. The early church in Acts, they center their being around meals. They're trying to figure out how to be the hands and the feet of this baby church, and they decide that they will gather together and eat together in the breaking of bread, where they learn together around the table how to do this church thing. And that's just stories of basic meals. Then you have the feasts and the banquets in the Bible. Abraham calls for a feast when his son Isaac is weaned as a celebration of this miracle which never should have happened without God fulfilling God's promise. In the opening banquet of the book of Esther, Queen Vashti refuses to dance even though her husband King requires it. She is removed from throne which sets in motion Esther becoming queen, and in a meal that she gives later on for her husband, the king, she advocates for her entire people group, the entire Jewish population, to save them from annihilation over a meal. And a long-lost son finally comes home, and the father runs out to greet him, and the father calls for a feast, a celebration something lavish and decadent, but is an outward sign for how much joy this father feels over being able to embrace his son yet again. A meal, a table, it's an intimate thing. It involves people and relationships and emotions and often life's special events, but more often than not, the mundane is what sits at the table. But even if the mundane is there, there is always the potential for something even quite possibly divine to happen there. So it's no wonder that the Bible uses the table as a metaphor to help describe a reality that we can't yet imagine. Cindy read the Isaiah passage earlier for us, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, but there's two other stories where the Bible uses the table as a metaphor for something bigger. And our lectionary actually puts them all in conversation with each other. The first is a gospel text. It's a parable. And this gospel text, this parable appears in both Matthew and in Luke in two different versions. And the the parable of the wedding feast. And remember that... Jesus 
uses so much of his teaching and his ministry to give us snapshots of the kingdom of heaven. He never explains to us directly, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Instead, Jesus gives us a series of metaphors, of nuggets of truth that gives windows into a larger truth that continue to keep preaching to us and revealing their beauty to us. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like unleavened bread. The kingdom of heaven is like a lost sheep or a lost coin. There are so many ideas, metaphors, that Jesus has already woven together to give us ideas of what this coming kingdom of heaven might look like. And here's another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. A father decides to throw a feast for his son's wedding, and at first he invites all of the expected guests, all of his friends who happen to be the powerful and the rich and the influential in the town. But they can't be bothered to come. They have other things to do, so they don't show up. Well, the father is quite furious and sends his servant out to get more guests and says, get whoever you can find. Find the poor, the needy, the homeless, the ones who have no one to eat with tonight and bring them into this feast. Because the feast will be attended to. The marriage is going to happen no matter what. But the father recognizes that something that is this special, something that has this gravity, needs to have people to share in it. To sit side by side. To enjoy the lavish food in front of them. And to give witness to the joy that they are experiencing and carry it with them beyond. The people who were intended to come to that banquet didn't show up. But God knows that all were invited from the beginning. Another passage that we see using this idea of a promise of a table is one that so many of us have have used and clung to in times of uncertainty and fear and grief. It's Psalm 23. After the psalmist beautifully tells us that the Lord is our shepherd, that the Lord guides us through the valley of the shadow of death and leads us by still waters, after that, the psalmist says, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is a gorgeous image of God's provision, God walking with us, and not only walking with us and giving us rest, but God setting a table where we are nourished and given what we need to be whole. So the Bible elsewhere gives us these two other passages where a table is used for a metaphor, a promise of this reality to come. And Isaiah enters into the conversation as well. The, the chapter, Isaiah 25, that Cindy read earlier, it is, uh, it is believed to be a later written chapter that is inserted earlier in the narrative to give an early sign of hope. But most likely, it was heard by the ears of people who had spent decades defeated. 
Their people had been conquered, they had been carted off to exile, their beloved home and temple had been destroyed, and they were sitting there wondering what hope could be found. Who are they now, and who is their God? And to this situation, the prophet Isaiah speaks this beautiful vision for their future. You, meaning God, have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy and their stress, a shelter from the rainstorm and a shade from the heat, when the blast of the ruthless was like a winter rainstorm, the noise of aliens like heat in a dry place. You subdued the heat with shade of clouds. The song of the ruthless was stilled. And then Isaiah says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-matured wine strained clear. So imagine this. You have a people who have been utterly devastated. Their world has been turned upside down, and they wonder who they are in light of their God and wonder what comes next. And Isaiah speaks into that a word, God has not forgotten you. God is still a refuge to the poor and the needy. And not only that, but God has invited you to a table, this feast were you invited to sit amongst your brothers and sisters and not only receive food, but the most decadent, delicious food? This is beyond their imagination. Now, I will admit that this passage was hard for me to wrestle with this week. This passage was chosen weeks ago long before I'm reading them in conjunction with what all is going on in my world. And on the one hand, this passage is such a promise of future hope amidst devastation. But on the other hand, this passage begins with destruction. It begins with a vision for another city to be annihilated, to be no more. And as I read this chapter today, now, in light of what's going on in our larger world, I cannot help but lament and say, oh God, is there nothing new under the sun? I wonder how can I go to a people today and preach about this text that holds this vision of hope and promise alongside a vision of destruction when so much is happening in our world. But I stuck with this and I continue to wrestle with it because I believe it still preaches and I believe it is still true. Because no matter what the Hebrew people experienced and what they hoped for, the words that Isaiah gives them, the vision that Isaiah gives them, isn't necessarily what they asked for, but it is what they need. And Isaiah's words are that the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, a feast at a table. Not just them, but absolutely them. But also all peoples. The wedding feast in the Gospels, it began as an event meant for a certain group, but it quickly expanded and ended with the least 
and the last. In Psalm 23, this table is for a future vision and it has no qualifiers. God sets this table for anyone who calls upon God as shepherd. And in the banquet in Isaiah, in this future hope and promise, not only is there a table set where we are all invited and can take, partake of this rich food, but God eats too. But what does God eat? In verse 8, Isaiah says, God will swallow up death forever. We feast together side by side on rich food and wine, and God feasts on death, swallows up death, takes it into himself, removing it from us. Now, it wouldn't make much sense for the Bible to use this metaphor of a table if it didn't have meaning for us. It only makes sense if these authors are using ideas and nouns and metaphors that are already rich with meaning in our hearts that we're carrying with us. And a table has so much rich symbolism to it. It is something that we already carry so much significance with. When we think of a table, we think of walks around a Thanksgiving table saying what we're grateful for. We think about friends and family. We think about tears and grief and conversations. We think about birthday celebrations. It is all there carried in our understanding of a table. And the audiences of these two stories carried similar meaning and significance with these metaphors. And these three conversations together, they give us this little snapshot of a future promise. A promise that no matter what is happening here and now, no matter what grief or anxiety or fear that we have right now, we have a promise of a table that God is preparing for us. Where we sit side by side with all people. It is a giant table It is not just one where we are nourished, but it is one where we are part of a story, of a history, of belonging. But we have also discovered from the rest of the way that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven in the Gospels that this idea of a kingdom of heaven is not just a future promise. It's not just a comfort for the future. It is also here now. The kingdom is already being built, and God is begging us to work alongside God to do what little we can to help set this table that God has already been providing. So these little stories, they give us a glimpse of what heaven is like, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like what day, what this future and this promise holds, but right now... We have the ability to give people little tastes and glimpses of that future promise. And sometimes, isn't that enough? Whenever we extend a table to all peoples, we boldly claim that all belong, not just a few. And we might be something, doing something physically small, but in reality what we are doing is giving people a small glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. Last week, if I learned nothing else from working alongside so many of you at the Pride Festival, is that 
telling people that the table is set for you, for everyone, is transformative. Telling the child from an early age where they can understand that they belong transforms. Telling the refugee who has come here as an outsider that they are very much invited to this table transforms. Anytime we break down a wall that lets people sit at the table is a glimpse of a kingdom of heaven. The Bible uses this metaphor of a table because it means something. It's more than a square rectangle of wood. It is story. It is belonging. It is history. And we see these three stories use this metaphor to show us not only the beauty of this comfort, but the power of this call upon us. Inviting people to be part of God's table, showing them that it has already been built and set, and just being hosts there transforms. It brings people into the story builds new traditions. I'm so grateful that I get to sit along this table with you. And I pray that as we move through this world as a church, we will continue to expand this table, that we will show people not only the promise of what God has promised us all, but a reality now where we belong and get little glimpses of the divine.